Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to the Olympics, another WNBL season, and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, as well as the Opals being ranked number two in the world, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze and it's our third review of the Opals game. Joining me again, my co-host Jacinta Gavin. Jacinta, how are you? Yeah, really feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good today, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good and wasn't that just an awesome game? Oh, it was worth the late night and the poor sleep that I had afterward because I was so excited. <laughs> there was no way I was going to sleep successfully and getting up for work this morning, but it was worth it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And i got to say, you could tell at the end that that was a happy team. Yeah, definitely. Um, sometimes you, you don't want your team to ever go through those struggles, but sometimes, you know, when you overcome those struggles uh, together, it is like the strongest point of unity for a team and they were all very genuinely happy and excited and uh, you could see the love and care that they had for each other as well when they were celebrating at the end. Definitely and I was looking at some of the photos that that FIBA had put out and and some footage and one thing that came across to me is this isn't the same team that was in that first game against Belgium. No I think for the um, the China game when we did our preview we were hoping the Opals would come out a bit more confident and assertive. And they did to a degree, but we definitely saw more of it in this game against Puerto Rico. Maybe because the stakes were higher or maybe because it's the third game by now and they've had a couple more training sessions in between to gel a bit more. But I did like how Sandy um, changed up some of the combos for this game. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. Myself and a few people that I've been talking to today who are really surprised about some of the combinations. I think having Tolo show up and show up to play the way she did was just an absolute game changer. And, you know, just as an aside, I don't know if you caught any of the internet commentary, but uh, she's got a new name now according to the call that they had, which was they kept calling her Tulo. <laughs> Oh, is that what that was? I kept yeah. seeing jokes on social media about it's not too low. And I was like, what are they talking about? Right, that puts it into perfect context. And it's kind of funny because she's, you know, the tallest player on the court and she's too <laughs> low. <laughs> yeah, is, and I think, you know, Canberra should definitely run off a, a bunch of jerseys with too low on the back. And if they do, I'm definitely there to get one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe they can change it up from go big to too low. So for me yesterday, I'd be really honest, the first half, I was really, really worried. A lot of mistakes. The lack of O-boards was just frustrating. It had me screaming at the TV. And the dependency on trying to get threes to get a bit of a break on Puerto Rico uh, really, really surprised me rather than trying for the high percentage shots inside. Yeah, I agree, especially because um, their three balls, like uh, some options they took to shoot a three were good options. 
some not so much, but the times when they, yeah, weren't the best option, they just looked really panicked, like they needed a bit of a Band-Aid to stop the bleeding of Puerto Rico getting too many points in a quarter, which was actually the first quarter the most points that Puerto Rico have scored all tournament in a quarter, funnily enough. But um, I'm really glad that they did change their approach a lot. I'm glad that they utilised Tolo so well. We've said a couple of times already how much he's just the perfect role player She's a perfect center. Yep. She's always been like that. She knows her bread and butter. You know she's good for, for rebounds. And the times when we took the ball to the rack on the drive, that we just got so many more options. So I was happy the Opals adapted in that way. But uh, they can't afford to let that many offensive rebounds in when they come up against the USA the next game. No, they're going to get massively punished if they do that. Mm. I think one of the things that surprised me was um, – as he seemed a bit tired in that first quarter, not mm. that she had a lot of lot of time out there. Uh, sorry, the first half, and also I'm just wondering if not playing her as much actually played into the Opals' benefit because you know Puerto Rico probably may well have been scouting for Ezzy more than having Tolo and Kayla taking a bigger role like they did in that game. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, perhaps. Because Ez, Ezzy's style of play under the basket is a little bit different compared to Kayla and Tolo. I find um, Tolo to be a lot more traditional. So, yeah, they definitely would have scouted Ezzy. I think maybe Puerto Rico would have matched up maybe a little bit better with Ezzy in athleticism. But I think, you know, basketball fans or even non-basketball fans can take away from these combos and Ezzy taking a bit of a backseat this game is that you always got to play your best five in that particular situation. So even though Ezzy's had an excellent tournament, cannot take that away from her, you've got to deal with the cards that you've been dealt. So you're coming up one team, you know that a particular combo or particular five is probably going to be more effective than your regular starting five. And if that works, that's what you kind of go with. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's one of the key things that for Puerto Rico particularly, the way that the the five was changed around made it a little bit different and they seem to have I mean for the first half they had lots of answers but in the second half they just didn't know how to react to what we were doing yeah I was quietly confident you know I mean the the first half was tight and we were sweating bullets won't take that away um I was quietly confident though coming into the second half that Puerto Rico wouldn't be able to play two consecutive halves like I was pretty confident they wouldn't be able to back it up as much in the second half and that would give us a really good opportunity to get that 25 point lead on the other hand I wasn't too sure if the Opals were able to then rack up their points so it's one thing to stop Puerto Rico's scoring it's the other part of it that came into the second half where the Opals had to keep adding to their tally because they were they had some struggles scoring in the first half they missed a lot of easy stuff under the basket some missed layups and as we mentioned before some Threes that probably weren't the best option at that time. So I was probably more worried that we weren't going to score enough. Yeah, I think that we had so many different, so many different things going on on the, on the court. You know, I mean, Kayla did her usual thing. She was hitting those threes in the clutch. And then, you know, I think that's probably one of the first times I've ever seen Kayla playing the peacemaker in that fourth quarter exchange with, I think it was Quinones. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, really admirable. Yeah, she put both hands up, r- was making such a concerted effort to, uh, yeah, make peace with the Puerto Rican player and just 
yeah, you could just see her trying to convince her, look, there was no malice in that, you know, let's just play on, let's be cool. The other player didn't see it so much that way. (laughs) But, yeah, that showed a lot of maturity from Kayla. I really liked to see it. When I saw that, that was like the point when I thought to myself, you know what, everybody is 110% focused on getting that number. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, I felt like Kayla was a little bit more relaxed that game too. Things started to come a bit more naturally. And you're right, when you see that kind of display in sportsmanship and emotional regulation in the heat of a game like that, you can tell that people are focused and that um, they're willing to put that stuff aside. They're able to not get caught up in, in the little tiff under the basket. They're not going to allow that to ruin their run. We came across a quote from Sandy after the game where she said, I'm not sure why we came out like that. It was like our brains froze and we forgot what we were supposed to do. Maybe it was the moment, but she said to the team, it comes down to heart. You've got to play with some heart. And I don't think there's a single person who watched that game that didn't think that was a team that did not come out with 100% heart to play. No, I totally agree. It's such a nice, that's a really nice quote from Sandy actually because Yeah, at the end of the day, that's the thing that gets you through. It's the heart that you have for playing a game you love, playing for your team members that you've been on this journey with, playing for the green and gold that you wear and representing everyone, especially at an Olympics. An Olympics that the world really needed because I think everyone's looking forward to something for a change. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And it was just, oh, it was just a great display. I don't think there was any performative kind of fakeness to their heart no. that they showed on the bench, on the court. It was just so genuine. Um, and it was really like a real Olympic highlight real moment for me, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's probably one of the most inspiring games of basketball I've seen possibly ever. Mm. I think more so because we already held them as such a high standard going into the Olympics. And they've had their stumbles leading up to it and they had their stumbles in the last two games. So for me, the comeback and the heart and the guts that they showed meant more because they had a lot more to lose, but they went to that effort to make sure they regained it. Yeah, and one of the things that I found interesting in the way everybody was playing was they were willing to share the ball around. I mean, if you look at the stats, we had five players in double figures nobody was being selfish with the ball when they didn't need to be but when they did need to be they were Mm. the numbers that everybody was hitting is starting to get more into those percentages that we are used to seeing and one of the things that I found really interesting was that there were a few occasions when Katie would bring the ball down the court rather than Leilani Mm. And I think that was another one of those changes that really made Puerto Rico think twice about how they were attacking everything. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, having five players in double figures and, you know, people like Katie and Lay being able to switch roles, you know, on the fly, that's the diversity that you want to see in a team because it makes it a lot harder for your opposition to scout you. And it means that on any given day, someone can just go off. Um, it's not a matter of like shutting down one player. It's a matter of, oh, look, all five people on the court actually are a threat. A defensive transition, the opposition would have to be really switched on if our Opals players are able to switch positions in our offensive transition so easy like Katie and Lay. Um, But I think the higher percentages and the sharing of the ball you mentioned and the five people being in double figures just shows that how much the offense did change compared to the last two games and how valuable 
the extra ball movement was in that game. Because when you're getting people, when you get in those stats, to me it shows that you're taking better shots as a team. And to get yep. better shots, you have to have that really good ball movement. Yeah. Probably the one that is a standout as not being as good as it could well have been is the O-boards. And we really got punished for that in the first half. Yeah. I still don't. It's one of those things like as a player and a coach, boxing out and rebounding is a fundamental non-negotiable skill. So when you have those games when your team is just not doing it, it's something I just can't explain. Like why aren't you doing it? Like go in there and do it. Like yeah. I just, what do I need to do as a coach or or one of your teammates to make you go and do it? It's like it's such an anomaly to me. And it's, I don't know if it's one of those things where it takes a couple of people to set the right example to get everyone else to do it or something. But when things like boxing out is a big team lapse, that's dangerous. That's a no-no. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, again, the other number that I thought was really interesting was the assists that some of the, the players, in fact, all the players who got themselves into double figures had a lot of assists as well, which showed they were really passing the ball around to make sure that they got the opportunity to take that shot when it was there. Yeah, yeah. So it's a nice little triad between points, percentages and and sharing the ball there, actually. Um, that's not something you'd really expect to see, the people with the most amount of points to also potentially have the most amount of assists. I guess it shows that the ball was going through their hands probably the most, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that they were taking all of the shots either. I did like, I was really impressed with Tessa Levy in that game. She, yeah. think, I think she had 17 minutes and she still racked up three assists. 19 and a half minutes. Yeah, and three assists in like 19 and a half minutes. I reckon that's that's pretty decent. Yeah, that's some good numbers. And she was. I think everybody who got on the court really made a key contribution. And some of these players that really haven't had a lot of minutes really, I think, through Puerto Rico. They just weren't sure what to do with those players. And those players, so it was like the two, Tessa Levy, Tess Magin, Sarah Blissavs, those girls who perhaps the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th players picked in the squad. They're the ones, to me, that have made the biggest difference in these games. They'll come on and they play their role. They always play their hardest. There was a moment in last night's game where Tess Magin just came on for a little spurt and all she did was just box her heart out. So even if she didn't get the rebound, allowed one of her teammates to get a cleaner rebound. Tessa Levy's almost like clutch defense at the end of the game, if we can call that a thing. She was on there at the really important part of the game where we had to secure a 25-point lead. And she's someone who didn't play the last game and now she finds herself in that situation. And she held herself so well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there was was a bit of commentary about the impact that Tessa Levy had given when she just came in, each time she came in, something happened. She made something happen. So to my mind, they're starting to to gel really well at the right time, but the big challenge is coming up in the US. That being said, I don't think they are unbeatable. No, no. Just like anything in life, if you've done it before, you can do it again. And it wasn't too long ago that they beat Team USA without Luz Cambage. So, you know, even though we're going to see on social media light up, it should have Luz Cambage. They've done it before without Liz. Fair yeah. enough, they had Steph Talbot, so they have their work will be cut out for them this time because they're pretty likely to be without Steph Talbot. But as long as they focus on locking down that D under the basket like we saw in the trial game, that yeah. really rattled Team USA. 
I think that would probably be one of their primary focuses for the next game is just really locking down under the basket D. Hopefully we can expect to see more of Tulo, a.k.a. Yeah. Tolo, um, doing the same thing. They're going into this next game with a lot of confidence. Hopefully that confidence can translate into some great performance on the court too. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure there's people out there who aren't going to like me saying this, but just one of those days that it's not too bad that Sydney's in lockdown because everybody will be home to be able to watch the game. I'm still getting a bit confused, though, to be honest, with what channel the Opals games are always on because it starts on seven, mate, and then, you know, I think didn't it get cut to the equestrian, so I went to the app. And then I just continued watching it on the app, and that meant that I missed Andrew Gaze, like, getting really, really excited. And I was like, well, I wanted to see that because I was getting excited too. Yeah. All of my tweets started to be in capital letters by the end. To me, this is the Olympics of the remote control thumb because you're just constantly changing channels to follow the game. If anyone from Channel 7 is listening, please don't change the basketball for the horse jumping. It doesn't work for us. I get it like when it's half time, maybe, and you just want to slot in a little bit there for half time. But the equestrian went on long enough and me being around basketball long enough where my instinct was like, this has been longer than a half time. Yep. I'm pretty sure they're not going to flick it back, the game back onto seven mates. So I had to go searching for it. And sure enough, it was already two minutes into the third quarter. Towards the end, I managed to find it on, you know, it was either on seven mate or seven, whichever one of the channel it was on. I'm kind of glad because I got to see the reaction that Andrew Gaze had when that bucket went down. That was just pure excitement. Was it what, Kayla's final dagger, that bucket? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your girl Kayla came through. Yeah, she always does, you know. And I know because she's broken my heart so many times watching her do it to teams that I'm barracking for. (laughs) Deadly. She's deadly. I wish I saw Andrew Gaze reacting to that moment too. But that was definitely the final dagger, that end one play. I think you'll find it. It's out there on social media. I've seen it. They just go crazy. It was great. Apart from what you mentioned, what else do you think we're going to need to do for the USA? Yeah, other than locking down on that D, the defense under the basket, they really need to sort out their rules of how to guard the ball screens because that's something that I'm still not honestly, personally very satisfied with this tournament. It's really confusing for me. I have been watching, I watch a lot of their ball screens to try and figure out how they're guarding them. And I don't think they even know how they're guarding them half the time. It's just, you can't guard ball screens just on a whim or a case by case. You have to have certain rules and stick by those rules. So they're going to have to work. They're really going to have to work that out. We're going to have to expect people like the two Tessas and Sarah Blissars to step up a little bit more to hopefully try and ease the burden of missing Steph Talbot as well. That's a big blow to this game. Hopefully somehow she can recover and play a little bit and hopefully Beck Allen can find some form this game as well. But it's all going to come down to defense for me. If they keep moving the ball on offense and keep looking to run, then they'll be okay on the offensive end. It will all stem from their defense. I was looking at some of the numbers for the two teams and look, they're not not representative because Australia's first two games were so far out of the way they normally play Mm. that the stats are a little bit misleading. Probably the biggest differential is in two-pointers. The US have been hitting 57.8. We're hitting 45.7. Everywhere else, we're relatively close. Three-pointers is 35 to 37. 
Free throws, 75 to 77. Defensive rebounds, the US definitely is, is hitting big numbers. Strangely, we're doing better in offensive rebounds than the US is. I wonder, though, because we did have a few. I think um, Tolo had 17 rebounds the last game, and I think seven of the 17 were offensive. So that may have pushed yeah. it over the edge a bit. Two-pointers is a concern. If I'm yeah reflecting on both teams now during this tournament, we have lost a lot of two-pointers. There's lots of times where a few players have taken some really great drives and they've just they've just not focused on making sure that they finish properly and it's rimmed out. We had a couple last night with a couple of big players under the basket too. They're just going to have to have a little bit more mental clarity and just take that extra second when they're under the basket to make sure they finish. Finish your shot. Like you focus on your shot until it goes through the net. We can't afford to have those layups and two-pointers half-assed against the USA. That will be a big difference. Yeah, no, they'll punish us with those. Mm. So I'm sure everybody's going to be watching this one because it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be real close, and I'm probably going to go against the run of people's ideas here, but I think we've got a real good chance it'll be close, maybe a couple of points in it, but I'm really backing the Opals on this one. Yeah, it's going to be really, really close. Um, and historically at the Olympics, other than the game they played each other at Beijing, I'm not, I can't quite remember what happened there. It was almost a 30-point loss to the Opals. But historically they've been close games. The thing is, hasn't been a lot of production from Sue Bird mm-hmm. um, in this tournament. And i got to say there's been a few times where Diana Tarassi's gone off with small niggling injuries so really anything's possible. To me, there's better than even chance the Opals could walk away with it in a really tight game though. Yeah, I would, and I don't want to say too much on individual performances from that team because me still believing I'm a bad omen, I don't want to say something and then the opposite happen. E.g. if I say someone hasn't been hitting their stride and then tomorrow they come out with 35, I'm not going to put that risk on the Opals. <laughs> but I will say that... Um, that I think Team USA have shown similar signs to the Opals where they just look a bit underprepared and maybe not gelling as well as they have in past Olympics or even past World Championships. And when you think about it, both teams have had a similar lead-up where they've had players in all different places, there's been overlapping of seasons, then you have to deal with the COVID bubbles and all that kind of stuff. So preparation for both teams, considering how many of each team play in the WNBA, well, all of Team USA play WNBA. We've got our fair share. We've got some in Europe, some in Australia. It's not ideal. It's not an ideal lead up for either team. Um, and like we said before, we don't want your team to be gelling at the tournament. So I, I think um, your Team USA will definitely still have some of those small weaknesses to exploit. Yeah. Okay. So looking forward to talking to you at our next review. Yeah, likewise. Fingers and toes, hey, for the next 48 hours. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll speak to you then. Great. Thanks so much, Paul. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.